it's not quite time for the madness that is college basketball in March, but that doesn't mean the fun has to wait. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is giving all new players the chance to cash $100. New customers can bet $1 on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week. And if your team makes it rain, you cash $100. That's right, all it takes is for one three-pointer being hit by your chosen team to turn $1 into $100. Sounds like a no-brainer to me. If basketball isn't for you, DraftKings Sportsbook has daily odds on hockey, soccer, and so much more. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to get your shot to turn $1 into $100 when you bet on any team to hit a single three-pointer in any basketball game this week. That's promo code THPN for new customers to get a shot at 100 to 1 odds on any basketball team to hit a single three-pointer shot. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, Michigan, or Virginia only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. Winnings paid out in four $25 free bets. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Berlansky, and I'm joined as always by my friend, my confidant, my favorite buddy to watch hockey with, Nick Horwat. How you doing, buddy? Good morning. Uh, it's fun doing these in the morning. We don't usually do them at, I mean, granted, it's 1030 in the morning, so for a lot of people, uh, it's like mid-afternoon, basically. I have a couple neighbors who are up at 5 a.m. every day. I don't know how the hell they do it. I mean, my normal wake-up call during the week is 4 a.m., so... Yeah, I don't know how you do it, but hey, here we are, 10.30. I'm still enjoying morning coffee, which is why I like it. I like I like doing the morning stuff. Normally, I don't, but sometimes I do. I can sit back with a coffee and feel accomplished for the rest of the day. Also, Valentine's Day is coming up. Well, for all our listeners who are hearing this, oh, yeah. I hope you had a good Valentine's yeah. Day. Because we're this recording this the day before. Monday. Yeah, we're recording this the day before because obviously Valentine's Day is on Sunday and we both want to make sure we have that day free. So we're going to talk a little bit today about the Penns Islanders game. We are going to be a little out of date and not have the results of the Washington Capitals Pittsburgh Penguins game that is going to be played on Valentine's Day. So we'll discuss that on Thursday's episode as well as the Tuesday game between the Pens and the Caps. But today we're going to discuss Penn's Islanders, the Marc-Andre Fleury trade rumors, the Sidney Crosby trade rumors, and basically decide which one of them is more ridiculous and which one of them is least likely. And then we'll go into our Penn's poll. But Horwat, let's start with Penn's Islanders. Both of us saw two completely different things and felt two completely different ways following that victory on Thursday. What did you think overall of that game? So I will say it wasn't a perfect game. I mean, I can understand that also because... Um, I had the luxury of delivering pizzas for the first period in intermission. I think I got home about halfway through the game, basically. Uh, so I missed the beginning of it, seeing it at least. Uh, but I know driving around, it didn't sound good. Phil Bork sounded upset on the radio, as he always does. But I think I felt good about the game and thought it was a good game because we did things that we normally wouldn't do or that we haven't done yet this season, really. Like, we scored with an empty net. We kept it competitive for the most part. And things didn't look completely out of touch. I'll give it that. I mean, I will say, when when I was I was in the middle of a delir delivery whenever I heard the Islanders were going on a power play, I said out loud in my car, two to one Islanders. Like, guaranteed. Five seconds later, we go down and almost score ourselves. I thought, that's not what I meant, but I'll take it. Um, then they end up going down and scoring themselves, so I was correct. I have never been so close to turning a game off this year, but I realized I'm only in the car for another couple minutes, so I strove through it, and, you know, we ended up, I mean, I got home, and like I said, I, we ended up winning the game from what I saw visually. looks pretty good. I mean, we did things that we haven't been able to do this year, so I wasn't fully disappointed. Again, it wasn't a perfect game, but... Um, it was a must-win game, and the fact that we're winning must-win games because they are all going to turn into that soon, um, it's a step in the right direction, and it shows that 
we are a confident team. I saw a tweet that said um, it was good seeing the boys get excited about that game-tying goal. Mm-hmm. And you know what? He's right, because I thought the same thing. It was one of those like perfect little – the camera zoomed in on the goalie perfectly as every other player skated out of frame. It was an awesome little moment. So the fact that we're building confidence on this team still, Gino is building confidence. Crosby's looking better. Um, you know, just the guys look better. I mean, granted, like I said, it wasn't perfect, and I'm sure you'll dig into the imperfections, but for now, it looked like a good game. It was a big win, and every game's going to start turning into a big game from here on in, basically. I texted you immediately following the game, and my exact words were, that is probably the ugliest win that I have seen in recent memory. And that might have been a bit of an overreaction. Of course, that was two seconds after the victory. And you responded back with, I thought they played pretty well, actually. And for me, before I dig into what I thought was bad, and there was a lot that I thought was bad, there was a lot that I also thought was good. I'm not going to sit here Mm -hmm. and be completely negative. I mean, they got a win over a team that they've struggled to beat in recent memory, so especially up in New York. So to be able to go in and beat them and outplay them the whole time pretty much the same way they did the last time these two teams met, but this time actually being able to get not only a point but both points out of this game, the thing is they almost didn't. Mm-hmm. They were 18 seconds away from not getting it, and they were Evgeny Malkin doing exactly what he's been doing the rest of the season away from not doing it because him shooting that puck He's only done that one other time this season, and he scored on it. So, again, not sure why he doesn't do it more often, but it worked out there. But let me backtrack a little bit before I get into that closing moment tying tie goal. Zach Aston Reese returned to the lineup for the first time this season following shoulder surgery. It was a little bit weird seeing him wear number 12 instead of the, the 46 that we're accustomed to. The last person that I can remember being good in the number 12, like actually good, is probably Ryan Malone. So it's been a Jerome while. Jerome McGinley was good. He just didn't stay long. Well, yeah, I, I completely I forgot about McGinley actually. So, yeah, he just didn't stay long enough. Yeah, I forgot about McGinley. So okay, I, I take that back. McGinley, which is still in 2013, which is still eight years ago. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to see Zach Aston Reese back. Of course, he got paired up with a little bit of a familiar line for them, and it was Bluger, Tan Evans, Zach Aston Reese, and that line was very good. That line was extremely good. It was everything that we expected of them. It was everything that they were last year when they were good. And then, of course, Aston Reese gets a goal, which we've talked several times. He's not a goal scorer, but he went to the goal scorer's spot, and he finished. And he was able to get that game tied up in in a moment where it looked like that was the biggest time where it didn't look like the Penguins were going to beat Semyon Varlamov. So the fact that Aston Reese was the guy to come in, get that goal on that line, that was really big. And the team played well, or that line played well as a whole, basically every shift that they were out there. Brandon Tanev exhausts me. (laughs) Not by the way of he plays a way that makes me exhausted to watch. It's just his speed and the amount that he goes. He's 100% full tilt in every shift. And it just makes me tired sitting there watching it. It's crazy, and I love it. And that is one of the reasons that that line was so productive. And any line that he's been on has been pretty productive this year. So that, as a third line, I don't know if they have enough scoring to be one of the top third lines in hockey, but they're definitely good enough on defense. And it's definitely going to be a line that puts a lot of the momentum in the Penguins' favor. So I love that. And as much as we've said, you don't want to stick to having certain lines stick together when everything else is self-destructing. Whenever the first line is playing the way they did on Saturday, you have two solid lines there. And I think the second line is constructed with Malkin, Kapanen, Ru- uh, not Rust, Kapanen and Zucker to where they could be a good line, but they're just not. And that's on individual performance, not on how they play w- with each other. So I love the third line. I love the first line. That first goal that they scored was absolutely beautiful. Crosby against Older Rust, easy pickings. And John Marino's play on that goal as well was, was very good. The spatial awareness he had and the knowledge he had to know where to go to take a defender with him that was really good on the first line like I said the third line was good now I want to get into Evgeny Malkin and his whole line because that is the one thing that continuously pissed me off on Thursday because you know that they can be better and we've because we've seen them be better already yeah yeah you know all of these players are better 
This line on paper is like the an original second line this year on paper. It should be one of the better second lines in all of hockey. Now, Zucker hasn't had a great season, but he hasn't had a bad season. Kasperi Kapanen, we talked about last episode. Pretty good so far in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. But that line goes as Evgeny Malkin goes. And this team, as much as we'd like to say Sidney Crosby can carry this damn team on his back, and he can, this team is built to have it carried by Malkin and Crosby to the playoffs. If only one of them are performing, this team's not going to go anywhere. And right now, that's where it's at. The Pittsburgh Penguins are 6-5-1 after that win. Five of those wins came in overtime. You, you want to talk about how important it is to get wins and get points in this division? It's very important to win in regulation, too. And the Penguins have done that once this year. We're over a month into the season. They have won a regulation game once. Is that a problem? Not necessarily yet, but it can be. It, and it will turn into one if that continues because you're only playing your division. So if you were, so if you're getting, if you're winning in overtime, yeah, you're getting two points. That's great. But you are giving your competitors one themselves. And when you're playing from the middle of the pack in as tight of a division as this is, one point could swing everything. I mean, I'm not saying it'll drop you from fourth to eighth like that. Mm-hmm. But one point. You could be in fourth, win that game, maybe move up a spot, but that one point could put them clo- like in fourth. It's going to be a huge swing in uh, the standings when it comes to just distributing those overtime points. I mean, I don't know the exact record of everyone right now, but I know we are, as we record this at least, we are in fifth, and but it's basically the same exact record as the Islanders. So it just breaks down to the tiebreakers. And that's not what we want to go into because our tiebreakers are not looking good right now. So getting these regulation wins is going to be huge. Mm-hmm. And we got to start picking them up. And again, how about we just win a game by more than one goal for once or stop more than one goal? Like it's, You know what I mean? It's like We mm-hmm. keep giving up all these goals. It's the thing I've said a couple times already this, this year. And there was a microcosm on Thursday of what you're talking about, where if you keep giving the pity point, if you will, to the other Mm -hmm. team, what happens? We came into the game trailing New York, and I I don't like looking at the standings this early in the season, but this is just a perfect illustration of why you can't keep going to overtime. We came into that game trailing the Islanders by a point. By one, yeah. You left now tied with them, even though you just beat them, and because of your tiebreakers uh-huh. we're technically not in a playoff spot even just beating the team that we played that is above us still and being tied with them in points because it is i believe head-to-head is the first thing and then secondary if it's not head-to-head it's regulation regulation wins, wins. Yeah. and the penguins have one so <laughs> it's definitely something that needs to change and needs they need to get better at. Now, the other thing you mentioned there that I want to dive into a little bit, will the Penguins ever have a shutout this season? I don't know. Will the Penguins ever allow less than two goals in a game? I don't know. We're 12 games in, and it does not look like they've been anywhere close to even performing that feat, which is a feat that should be done on several instances during a season. But the way that the defense has played so far, now I get that you know injuries aside, that will persist until everybody's healthy. But the way the goaltending has played as well, Whenever there's defensive laps, we haven't been able to get the big save. Or if the defense is playing well, we give up the weak goal. So it seems like it's off-balanced always. And that's what's leading to the Penguins giving up more goals than most teams in the NHL right now. And and their goal differential, which is, again, another one of those tiebreaker stats, is still, I believe, negative seven for a team that is technically six and six. It's definitely a negative. I know it was before. Uh, and then only winning by one doesn't help. Yeah. So, as we stand, it's a negative seven. And by as we stand, I mean as we record on Saturday morning. Because, again, we don't know what atrocities are bound to happen Sunday. Is it an afternoon game? It is Sunday, I believe, at 3. 3 p.m. Told you that had NBC written all over it. Um, Yeah, so we don't know the atrocities that are bound to happen tomorrow for us. But, hey, for now, we stand at minus seven. I mean, unless we blow them out and win by eight. We're gonna have the same. We'd be having the same conversation anyway. We're a fifty, uh, an even team with a negative goal differential. Granted, 
a lot of teams in our there are only two teams with a positive goal different goal differential in the east right now so that's not terrible but we're the lowest the minus seven is the worst in the division plus four boston's got a plus 14 philadelphia is a plus five everyone else is a minus but it's only a one two or a three and there's us with a seven so that's something to improve upon i mean again it's not something to focus on and say that's what we need to change but winning will counteract that that's just how that works Mm -hmm. for what it's worth i mean you can get into the playoffs and have a minus goal differential i'm sure we've done it on many occasions but winning with winning comes turning that stat around Mm -hmm. so i mean we're not winning big that's the issue our losses are obviously more than our wins well, you can't win big when you're only winning in overtime. Exactly. So it, it's really just – and to, to pull it back to that Penn's Islanders game itself, no, they haven't played poorly. They controlled the puck a lot against the Islanders. They honestly kind of dominated the Oilers in puck possession, but – or not the Oilers, the Islanders in puck possession. I don't know why that came into my head. <laughs> but they orange. dominated the Islanders in puck possession. But it didn't really seem for long portions of that game – like, they were really ever a threat to score. When they went down 2-1, to one, you looked at it and said, I don't know if this team's going to be able to beat Semyon Varlamov, who surprisingly leads the NHL in shutouts this year already, which is, I mean, good for him. But you Defensive-minded game, baby. You looked at that, and you're just like, I don't know if they have what it takes to score. Yeah, they're going to be all around them. They're going to be buzzing in the offensive zone, but the quality of shots was not there. The first line was playing really well and getting some opportunities. That third line had a lot of puck possession, but not too many opportunities. The second line couldn't corral the puck. I I don't know why. Evgeny Malkin kept trying to catch passes with his skates, kept trying to make passes with his skates. Kasperi Kapanen is showing that he does sometimes struggle with puck possession, especially whenever you're cycling in the offensive zone. And you know Jason Zucker struggled a little bit on Thursday as well with that. This line, it seems like, needs to get a lot better and a lot crisper when it comes to puck, puck possession in the offensive zone, especially of Genny Malkin because he has had the puck roll off his stick too many times, and I don't know if it's because he's trying to do too much or if it's just because he's struggling right now with his puck possession. But the thing is that second line needs to be better because if it's not, the Penguins are not going to go very far. The first line is great. The third line is great. I thought the fourth line didn't play awful on Thursday. They had... Some decent shifts, but again, they barely played any any minutes. So they put Sevier back on it at least like we wanted. Yeah, I I liked having Sevier out there. I thought he added something to that fourth line that made it a little bit more noticeable than it was whenever it was Lafferty and O'Connor out there. So it is also pretty telling that O'Connor stayed in the lineup and Lafferty was sat. So there's probably yeah. something that the Penguins coaching staff is kind of down on right now with Sam Lafferty or they're having him try to fix off the ice and away from the game action. So or they're seeing something in O'Connor that we're just not. I mean, it's that's definitely likely as well. I mean, both of them are likely, but I mean, it's a long season and I guess we think O'Connor's NHL ready cuz I cuz there's no reason to put someone in the NHL lineup who is not NHL ready when we have NHL ready talent. A healthy scratched right now and be in the taxi squad like there wouldn't be a reason to keep O'Connor in the line if the coaching staff saw something we didn't so I'm confident that something's going to happen there if they continue to keep him in because I would assume Mike Sullivan of all people would be quick to take someone like him out of the lineup but who knows I mean I saw that Frederick Goudreau got pushed up into a uh, healthy scratch spot I guess I don't know mm-hmm. um which is big because I figured he'd be the first one to come up uh, for the forwards out of the taxi squad because he has NHL experience, not much, but it's something. And he's got big-time playoff experience. We know this. We know that mm-hmm. of all teams. Um, but and I'd be interested to see what he can do up for us now. Uh, so we'll have to see, wait and see what happens there. But, yeah, that fourth line could use some improvements as well and i think sevier's a start i don't think he should miss time in the lineup anymore just because he has great a laundry list of nhl experience compared to his counterparts on that line Not yeah only- jankowski's got some experience too but sevier's the veteran down there on the out of those three 
not only does Sevier have NHL experience, he plays a game not necessarily a Penguin-style game where he has speed and skill, but he plays a hard-nosed style of game that makes him hard to play against, and, and it helps in the defensive zone, especially when there's a guy willing to take the body. And the big thing with O'Connor versus Lafferty is I think Drew O'Connor is much more stout in his own zone, and that's something that you can tell Mike Sullivan has had an issue with with Sam Lafferty's game is in his own zone he makes mistakes. He does not cover his guy as well as Drew O'Connor does. So that's probably what's keeping O'Connor in the lineup. And now he just needs to work on his offensive side of the game. And that's, you know, that'll come for a young player in the NHL. So it's a good sign for O'Connor. Hopefully he continues to play well defensively because if he can do that and he can help keep the puck out of the net, which is something that, as you mentioned, the Penguins have had an issue with keeping the puck out of the net. So if all he does is that, leave it to Sevier and Jankowski to go out there and try to get good opportunities on the offensive side. But let's talk about the defense really quickly before we jump to a quick break. P.O. Joseph had a rough game for the first time, and that's bound to happen. He he got torched by Matt Barzell in the third period. With Man, remember, what, what, I, remember yeah. what I said about Barzell last week? Man, yeah. P.O. Joseph knows how to handle all right. Well, it's, so it's bound the to only happen. Thing, the only thing that confirmed is that Barzell listens to the show. Yeah, Matt Barzell. He heard what I had to say and targeted him. <laughs> so, um, Barzell, I want to see you try that against a real a, a veteran defenseman. I don't know. I got nothing. I He'll do that to, to anyone. Say a real defenseman. He'll do that to anyone. Uh, it's just Matt Barzell. That was bound to happen. You're right. And you know what? It wasn't the. It's definitely not the prettiest deke we've ever seen. But it's it was good. It was up there for this season and. It's always fun watching those kind of plays where like something huge happens for one team and they end up losing. I just I love that, especially when it's against us. Like, yeah, we got torched. Whatever you lost, eat it. Yeah, especially look at Casey Sezikis' goal in the first period, which was absolutely gorgeous. So they had those two gorgeous goals. They should have won the game because of the way the Penguins played the game. It didn't look like they wanted to score goals. And then all of a sudden, Malkin scores with 18 seconds left. And even I forgot about this after the game. If you remember, the net, the Penguins net, was knocked off its moorings yeah. with about a minute and a half left. Cal Clutterbuck got it at center ice, and the play was called dead. He was not happy because they were going to be on. able to ice the game, but that is a rule. That's a rule. And it's just unfortunate for the New York Islanders, very fortunate for the Pittsburgh Penguins, because otherwise, I don't think the Penguins, obviously the Penguins don't win, because they would have been down 4-2 to two at that point. Yeah. And I I want to dissect that play, actually, for a minute, because that was really smart on Dismiss' part to immediately get off the ice. Mm-hmm. It's as if there's a penalty. Like, I mean, granted, pucks can still go in on a penalty in that situation, but if the if the net is off, as far as I know, once the puck goes back in that direction, basically, whether who has possession or not, I think they have to call it dead, right? I believe... Unless, like, we straight up intentionally put it in, but, I mean, that's obviously not going to happen yeah i believe it's something along those lines because the net is off so you yeah it's not the actual goal standard line. goal line so yeah very smart play by casey yeah. smith i don't know if somebody told him to do that or if it, but it seemed like it was an instant reaction so very smart on his part very yeah. fortunate for the pittsburgh penguins and it leads to evgeny malkin scoring the biggest goal of the 2021 season so far I think it would have been more impressive if we actually got into their zone, though. Because that's the thing. We didn't get it past center red. No. But still, the fact that DeSmith was able to realize that and immediately skate off while Latang was still on the goal line, like, I don't think he realized it at first because there was a quick little stutter from everyone. Like, where are you going? Mm -hmm. We're two feet from you. But the fact that he skated right off, and like I said, it would have been way more impressive if we went down and did something at the other end, but we couldn't get it past center red. Things happen. It was still just a smart play from the goalie who's playing smart this year. And you mentioned all the pretty goals that led to a loss for New York. How have we not mentioned a Crosby shootout goal yet? Well, we're getting to that. We're still in the cool. game-tying goal. But, of course, Evgeny Balkan scoring that big goal. You talked about the reaction. It was nice mm-hmm. to see. It almost felt like a reaction you get for a playoff goal. Yeah. And that's what these this team needs. Yeah, we said they were having fun last week. And, and once again, they had a practice with wooden sticks. So – you know that this team likes each other. You know that this team is having fun. It's great to actually see that happen on the ice other than just in practice. So a good win for the Penguins. And then let's get into that overtime, which was good. The overtime was interesting. And then, of course, the shootout. 
Casey DeSmith has not given up a shootout goal yet this year. And it's been, I he played the Capitals and went to the shootout. Now he's played the Islanders and gone to the shootout. There's a lot of good shooters that he's faced. Hasn't given up a goal. That's good. And then, of course, Sidney Crosby torching Semyon Varlamov's ankles. Complete and utter patience with it. And just making Varlamov look like he's stuck in quicksand, basically. Yeah, I it was... Every time you see Crosby go over the boards for a shootout, you know what he can do. Like, you know he's got the hands to do something like that, but then he never does it. I think it was good to finally see him actually try something. Because, I mean, why was the shootout put in? To show these guys, to show all these players individual skill and to show their how much fun they can have with the game. And then it got boring because everyone went down and tried to like just analyze everything and go, all right, I just need to shoot it. Now, there's no there's no more deeks on it. I mean, granted, there are, but it's much more rare that we see people like attempting these fun deeks, attempting all these cool plays or anything like that because, I mean, you can't turn around anymore. So, I mean, yeah, you're ruling the hell out of it, but it's just interesting and fun to finally see people actually put some kind of creative effort into it Crosby especially because again he's the one that would make a headline with a goal like that not just skating in stopping waiting for the goaltender to move first and shooting if we're still going to be using the shootout damn it have some fun with it because we know that these guys are good enough to win and still be skillful with it Crosby especially yeah, and he did. That's exactly what he did. So it, yeah. it was good for the Penguins. Of course, Casey the Smith closes it out with a big save on, I believe, Matt Barzal. So a little bit of a little bit of justice there for the Pittsburgh Penguins, and they get the victory. Big win, first win in 13 calendar days. It, it it had been a long time since I woke up and said, "Wow, the Penguins won a game last night." It felt good. Now I need to keep doing it. There's going to be a lot more games in succession. We're not going to have as many breaks as we usually do. Got two games coming up against the Washington Capitals. As you're listening to this, one of them has already been played. So the Penguins, who have struggled on the road, they're, I believe, 2-5-1 and one on the road. Let me ch- double-check my, my stats here. Yeah, 2-5-1 and one on the road. But they are 4-0-0 oh, oh at home. So they're coming back home for the first time in a long time. Let's hope that that continues and the Pittsburgh Penguins can get a couple wins against their biggest rivals in the Washington Capitals. And let's hope they can get some regulation wins. Yeah. <clears throat> that's the big one regulation wins i mean again yeah it's fine getting overtime wins but you're giving points to the other team and with the capitals they're a team that's ahead of you mm-hmm. that's what you have to watch for so you can't give up those pity points and those extra points to a team that's ahead of you especially if you're out of a spot and you're trying to chase people down you can't be just distributing singles like that um you got to take them both and run so yeah regulation wouldn't be huge a couple regulation wins would be even better so and I think if all goes well, Crosby's thousandth game will be that Saturday. I forgot to look who it will be, but I did do that count correctly this time. Next Saturday, well, it's going to either be the, the Capitals 20th. or the Islanders. Oh, that's right. We said that before. The mm-hmm. 20th is going to be the Capitals or the Islanders. Probably the Islanders. All right. Well, yeah. Saturday, Saturday, probably night. Game 1,000. That's big, man. That's something we all have to watch and look forward to. Should have been tomorrow slash yesterday. Yeah, but the good thing is it will be on home ice against the Islanders. So that that is the big thing. You definitely want a milestone like that to happen on your own ice. I'm sure there's going to be a nice ceremony before the game. But we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about dueling trade rumors that hit the wire last week. And we'll discuss which one of them is more ridiculous and which one of them actually was attempted. We'll be right back. This episode of the Tip of the Iceberg is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Got a crazy bush? I may not be a contractor, but even I know that if you trim your hedges, your tree stands taller. This is why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Millions of balls are about to be nick-free thanks to Manscaped's new and improved 
Lawnmower 3.0, featuring advanced skin-safe technology to keep your soldier polished and cut-free. If you're like me and like to handle this kind of business in the shower, the Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof and features an LED light, so even guys as blind as I am can see what they're doing. If you are listening to me, you are one of the first people to hear about this life-changing product, and you too can experience it firsthand. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THPN at manscaped.com. Again, that's code THPN for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Trust me, your balls will thank you. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, brought to you by DraftKings. Visit DraftKings Sportsbook today and get started on your sports betting. We have a couple of trade rumors to discuss right now that hit the wire last week. Let's talk about the one that's actually realistic and the one that was actually attempted. And that is, of course, the Marc-Andre Fleury trade rumors. Another year goes by and another wave of Fleury back to Pittsburgh rumors happen. Of course, this time, they're a little bit more realistic, mainly because these rumors... We're coming from TSN's Bob McKenzie, the Bob Father, who first reported it on Wednesday Night Hockey on NBC Sports. He said the Penguins, on several occasions in the past couple weeks, as well as last offseason, attempted to trade for Marc-Andre Fleury of the Vegas Golden Knights, bringing him back to Pittsburgh, where he started his career. And while Fleury has expressed interest in finishing his career in Pittsburgh, the Vegas Golden Knights have zero interest and letting him go, and the Penguins really don't have that much to offer Vegas anyway. But the interesting thing is, GM Jim Rutherford, before, of course, stepping down from his position as general manager of the Penguins, last offseason apparently tried very hard to get Marc-Andre Fleury back on the Penguins to no avail. It was a hard no from Vegas. And then Patrick Alvine, in his three weeks as acting general manager, attempted once again to get... Vegas to send Flurry back to Pittsburgh. Hora, what did you think when you saw all of this? I thought it was a joke at first, and then seeing who announced it and actually reading the stories, this was actually a thing that could have happened. So the Alvin part, I believe, is just allegedly. I don't know the full scale of that. Hmm. Um, yeah, because Rob Rossi said that it definitely happened over the offseason, which makes way more sense mm-hmm. than Alvin trying it. But, I mean, if Alvin tried it, Sure. I mean, like I said, king for a day. Do what you want to do up there, I guess. And it it kind of makes sense that we would shoot for a goalie like that who, A, wants to come back at some point. Mm-hmm. Correct. Like, we know this. We know he wants to eventually return and retire here. Um, He's playing phenomenal. I mean, I have – he's a 1.68 goals against average right now and a – 0.929 save percentage. He's one of the best goalies in the league right now. So it makes sense that a team like us, who is just having goaltending struggles, who is the team, and it's the team that this particular player wants to eventually come back to, why not shoot your shot at it? I get it. It makes sense. You got to figure it out because that's uh, seven million against the cap that we cannot afford. Um, he's got a modified no trade, but again, I'm assuming we're on it. I'm assuming we're one of those teams. But it's it's just interesting. It makes sense. I think that's my only thought on is that it makes sense we would try it. Mm-hmm. It totally does. Do I agree with it or disagree? I don't know. At this point, I need a save, man. I need someone in net who can make a damn save. So if he's one of them, depending on what we're giving up, I'm not going to argue it. I don't care about his age. I just want someone to stop the damn puck right now. Get Brodeur out of retirement if you really need to. Just someone in there that can make a stop. Um, but yeah, just depending on what we'd give up, I don't think I'd be too mad at it. And I'm just leaving it leaving it at for now. It just makes sense that this would happen. Especially if it happened in the offseason, which made even more sense. I've seen the rumors about Alvin, and I've seen some people say, well, he was just trying to make his mark. He was trying to impress the Penguins brass and say, this is why I should have the job because I have a pair of brass ones myself. And yeah, that makes sense. 
for GM Jim Rutherford, it doesn't to me. You're telling me that you went and traded a guy like Matt Murray, who, besides his struggles, is a quality NHL goaltender. As a guy that has shown to be an above-average goaltender at times in the NHL, you decided not to bring him back at what would be a little bit more expensive than you would like to pay. But here's the thing. If you were that uncomfortable with your goaltending situation, with Casey DeSmith and Tristan Jari as your guys heading into this season, which you, you provided a front that you were very confident in those two. But if you were that uncomfortable behind closed doors and you were trying to trade for Marc-Andre Fleury, I understand doing that first because Fleury is the better goaltender. And right now you're probably roughly around the same salary cap position with both of these goaltenders, Matt Murray being a little bit discounted compared to Fleury. It's seven million to six point two five, so they're essentially the same. Essentially, you need to make the same amount of room. Now, here's yeah. the thing: what big move was made in the off season that could have unloaded that much cap space? At least ah. that much cap space left the Penguins. That was the Patrick Hornquist deal. But you brought back Mike Matheson, who was a higher cap and made it a little bit harder for you to do. If you were going to be able to try to trade Hornquist, trade him for spare parts. If, if your goal is to get a goaltender and you're that uncomfortable with your goaltending, why trade Patrick Hornquist for a defenseman who, by the way, Mike Matheson, we didn't discuss it in the first segment, didn't play a bad game against the Islanders. I didn't have any issue with Mike Matheson's game against the Islanders on Thursday. I thought it was pretty, actually, the best I've seen him play in black and gold. But I digress on that point. Yeah, he went it, unnoticed like he's supposed to. Yeah, and he could move the puck pretty well. But yeah, we'll, we'll, I digress again. But if you were that uncomfortable where you reached out and tried very hard to get Marc-Andre Fleury back in here, you already had Matt Murray as an RFA. You didn't have to give anything up. Trade Hornquist for spare parts. Conditional seventh-round pick. You unloaded Bukestad's over, what, two of his $4 million for a conditional seventh. You're telling me you couldn't get a guy like Patrick Hornquist, who now is one of the best players on the Florida Panthers, to another team? I mean, it, it, it's there was other options to be made. But here's the thing. Rutherford was uncomfortable with his goaltending situation. And only, as of right now, we've heard that he's tried that. But he didn't seem that he was trying to bring Flurry or Murray back. It just confuses me. I'd love to see Marc-Andre Fleury back in the Pits with the Pittsburgh Penguins, especially with the way that he's playing now. But Vegas is not going to trade him. So the next time you might see Fleury is when he's a free agent after next season. Um, it was weird to see the trade rumors is all I'm yeah. saying. And, and it's <clears throat> yeah, yeah. even stranger to see that it came from general manager Jim Rutherford, who presented a very confident front in his goaltending. That's what you're supposed to do as GM. You're supposed to look confident in your team, and that makes sense too. Uh, it's just, looking at it, the Matheson part of it, I mean, Matheson's $500 cheaper. $500,000 cheaper. That's it, when it comes to the Hornquist deal. But we also added Sevier onto that, who we are playing and using, so mm -hmm. there's the cap just busts out. I think we thought it was a great idea on both of these parts, of buying out Jack Johnson and trading Bukestad, but retaining. Now looking at it, that's, that's like three million dollars in dead cap at some point that might become useful granted the Bukestad thing is only this year mm -hmm. and uh, Jack Johnson's it's just a hair over a million and that eventually drops so it's not much so I mean just this year that three million might be a little useful as for later I mean come next year never year after that it'll be a little bit better but I'm just looking around at these caps. I mean, we have so many people on LTIR right now. It's disgusting. Um, I just, and Matheson being up there with that much money, it's it, it's such a weird situation that we would be discussing a trade for a $7 million player. Mm -hmm. Again, like I said, it makes sense in the grand scheme of things, not counting numbers and players. But... We just don't have the money for it, especially whenever we are thinking about how, I mean, we're not doing it now, but the team wanted to not touch the cap, uh, the cap ceiling. Yeah, they wanted to be, what, 70% of the cap this year? Or $70 million. They wanted to be about 7 to $8 million under it. 
Well, guess what? We're $152,000 away from it. So, I don't know. I, I'm i interested in to see where everything goes with the goaltending situation in the future. Mm-hmm. I mean, this season seems like it's going to be very stagnant in a lot of facets because Hextall and Berg said they're going to evaluate this year and make decisions during the offseason, which is a little scary because I want to do good this year, but... And, I mean, we still can. We definitely still can, but it's going to make for a wild offseason with headlines galore and fun. It'll at least be fun. Mm-hmm. I just, it's interesting. I mean, I don't hate the idea of a trade for Fleur. You just got to do the right thing, and it's not going to happen, though. Let's just leave it at that as well. And the last thing I will say about this, and we talked about why the numbers don't work. We talk about why Vegas wouldn't want to do it. Let's talk about why Pittsburgh wouldn't want to do it. What do you have to give up to get a guy like Marc-Andre Fleury? You got to give up something, and it has to be good, especially for Vegas to even think it's worth their while because, like you said, the numbers don't work. Vegas is going to have to retain, and Vegas is not in cap heaven either. So they're going to have to retain. The numbers have to work out for both teams, and Vegas is probably going to want a good NHL player right now or a first round pick. And as we've mentioned several times, how willing are you to continue to mortgage the future to help win now? Yeah. The, the cap situation across the league is, Oh, it's a handful right now. It's a flat cap world there. And there's no sign of it going up anytime soon. Not even that. It's just like, I'm looking at the amount of cap space used by all these people. It looks like, cap friendly is just having an issue because <laughs> it's just that's just how s- crammed everyone is i mean vegas i'm sure would love offloading seven million dollars one way or the other yeah but we're not going to do this trade if we're not giving them some money and like in return mm-hmm. but who do we have that's worth a lot that we'd want to get rid of his name is michael matheson well we're, no one wants him they're not taking him Nope. So now you're out of luck there, especially whenever they just decided to pay $8.8 million for Petrangelo for forever and ever. Amen. Oh, their cap is ugly. That's right. They decided to just pay everyone and worry about it later. Yeah. And and they've already started to feel the, the ramifications of it whenever they had to trade Nate Schmidt for basically pennies on the dollar last offseason. So that's going to – I mean, he's a good player. Yeah. Wouldn't you like to have Nate Schmidt right now? I would. I, I think he'd be great. But here's the thing. But we got Yannick Weber instead. Exactly. You get Yannick Weber, and, and that's the thing. Vegas has put themselves in that situation, and honestly, can you blame them? They're one of the most successful expansion teams in NHL history. But more so back to the Penguins, you, you mentioned you want to win this year. And Hextall and Burke are more concerned with next year. And that makes sense. Self-preservation. This is not the team they built. So automatically by doing that, they're kind of taking a little bit of the liability for this year. And they're taking it and leaving it on Jim Rutherford and saying, listen, this isn't a team that I built. And we're coming in completely new to this entire thing with very little time to turn things around before the trade deadline and, and put our fingerprints on this team. So basically what they're saying is, we hope they do well this year, but if they don't, it's not our fault. Yeah. Yeah, and he, it makes sense. And here's the other thing. This is not a bad team. This team is 6-6 six and six against good divi- against good opponents in our division with Evgeny Malkin playing like ass. Mm-hmm. And no defense. A- and None. playing and by- 13 defensemen in 12 games. Yeah, I don't even mean no defense as in they're playing bad. I mean no defense as in our injury list was, (laughs) what, seven of our nine opening night defensemen? Yes. Yeah, no, we're playing fine for the circumstances. Mm -hmm. We would just like to be fully healthy and have Malkin playing the way he's supposed to be. If we get those two things going... I predicted us to finish second in the division. If we had all of the, if we had Malkin playing hot off the start and a healthy defense, I bet we'd be there right now. 
I don't know about second in the division. I, I think Philly and Boston have both played extremely well this year. And Washington, for all its faults, has still played very well. And I think those three teams, it's no fluke that they're the top three in the division right now. Right. And I'll just hold on to this, too. I mean, granted, we look at our warts, but I will harken back to something Josh. He always said when he was making the season predictions for the East, he said, yeah, the Penguins are not the greatest team in this division. But every other team in this division has warts that can exploit them. And they just all have to, I mean, things would all have to fall in the right way and that would have to happen, but it's possible the Penguins could come out in the top two or three in this division. All of those, every other team just really needs to feel the effects of their downfalls, which is very well possible. I mean, we already look New Jersey and their health and safety division is really stopping them from being able to do anything right now. They can't play. (laughs) And that causes Buffalo to not be able to play. And who knows the ramifications when they finally do get back on the ice, how much rust is going to be there and how many points it's going to cost both of those teams. I mean, yeah, but I think those were two teams that we had locks not to make it anyway. Yeah, but you never know this season and the way that they played at the beginning of the season. They weren't bad teams. Right, but I'm talking, like, you talk about the rest of the division. I mean, there's the Capitals' old, slow defense. That could catch up to them. Young goaltending. Young goaltending. Boston, Tuka Rask could just be bad Tuka Rask this season. You mean trying to pull himself from the game whenever it's a tie game in the last minute of the game? Did you see that? Yeah, that was wild. <laughs> but that's not the first time he's done something like that either. Yeah. I think he does that at least twice a season. <laughs> um, And also... Who's that defense core now? Charlie McAvoy? I don't know if I'd put all my faith into just him yet. Who else am I talking? There's Philadelphia, who we've gone over. Um, Yeah, they're good. Sorry. No no other way of putting it. They have their wards. We just don't know what they are, and they seem to cover cover them up really well. Hey, that's a Ron Hextall-built team. Exactly. And the (laughs) Rangers are the Rangers. Yeah, so... If everything falls apart for other teams, we're looking good. But for now, they haven't started yet. So Let's just not put all our eggs in the basket of, if things fall apart for them, we'll be good. Let's How about let's be good and force them to be bad? Yeah, that's the point I was trying to get to. Yeah. No, no, you're, you're good. I understand what you were saying. And the thing for the Pittsburgh Penguins this year is they need to start to bring their game together. You saw it a little bit on Thursday, and as much as I was – I was cringing at a lot of the game on Thursday. There were a lot of good things, too. They completely owned puck possession. but And their forward core looked good. Their forward core was really good on Thursday. They just didn't create quality chances, and there was no threat to actually put the puck in the back of the net other than what the first line was doing. So I need to see a little bit more of that. I need to see more of Cody Ceci because what he's doing right now has been really good. I don't... Not necessarily more. I think I need to see Cody Cece do exactly what he's been doing in the time he's been allotted to do it. 10, 12 minutes a game, the way he's playing is good for the Penguins. Him and Rue Weedle, that's good. Let them eat up 12 minutes. Yep. Did you see Jesse Marshall on the Steve Dangle podcast by chance? I did not. I didn't even know that was a thing. I, I did see that he was doing a crossover. but Yeah, so he was on the Steve Dangle podcast, and they, I think it was Steve, asked them about Cody Cece specifically. And I don't remember the exact response because I don't know uh, whatever, what are their called numbers like that? Corsi. Corsi. I don't know Corsi numbers like that. And uh, But Jesse Marshall said that he is he had the fourth best something or something on the team. So <laughs> I'll, I'll look that up and figure it out for the next one because that is the fourth best at something on the team. And, yeah. and, and you'll have to figure out what it is and it's an advanced stat. But I yeah. probably – Probably something around Corsi because I told you last episode that he has his highest Corsi of his career so far this year. So he's done a really good job with that, and I feel like he's played extremely well. If we can get John Marino has been on the track to being back to normal John Marino. Chris Letang had less of a mind-numbingly bad mistake-filled game on Thursday. P.O. Joseph had his worst game, and that's going to happen. Now it's time to see how he bounces back. And Mike Matheson didn't look poor. He didn't look bad. Marcus Pedersen is on the way back from injury. Brian Dumoulin is still yet to be seen, but the Penguins are getting healthy on the blue line. Now it's going to be time to pull it all together and see what they can do against this division. 
and for the next couple weeks, what they can do continuously against the Islanders and the Capitals. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see, and I'm into it. We also mentioned that we were going to talk about another trade rumor that once again popped up in news, and that's once again Darren Dreger. We had an entire segment on Darren Dreger's crazy Sidney Crosby trade rumor from a couple weeks ago. Well, he doubled down, and now he yeah. specified that it was going to, if anywhere, it would be to Colorado. And, yeah, that's pretty lazy journalism, as I saw somebody. I think it was Doug actually put out there, yeah, Crosby to go play with Nate McKinnon. That's pretty lazy journalism, and I agree. And, listen, Sidney Crosby's not going anywhere. That's, again, I will reiterate that. This is Darren Drager. Fine, try to make a name for yourself by saying something ridiculous. That's cool. Uh if you want to know how you should actually do that, look at Bob McKenzie and ha who has actual facts behind his crazy trade rumor of Mark Andre Fleury. So, again, trying to make a name for himself, Sidney Crosby's not going anywhere. Horrell, what did you think when you you saw that? We were we got that sent to us by a couple people this week as well. So, you're right. It is lazy journalism, but he's right. Colorado makes the most sense. I mean, there's Nathan McKinnon there. You know, best friends. Their contract ends at about the same time, by the way. Mm -hmm. They're also a team that have a they have a ton of UFAs at the end of the year. So if you really do think about it, I mean, that's if this was to happen right now. This makes a it does make a lot of sense. I'll give yes, lazy journalism, but make it not lazy, and that's still the outcome you're gonna get. It makes the most sense. They have a ton of guys up this year, and not just a ton of guys. They have it's Landeskog and Brandon Sod both up this year. That's Ten and a half million dollars. Guess what? Those two right there, you can afford Sidney Crosby next year. I mean, that's not digging into their defense or who they'd be giving up in a trade going the other way. They could afford it. They could afford it, and they could afford it while keeping McKinnon on the team. Not, I mean, you look at the rest of their team; they have such a good depth, and yeah, it makes it. He's right, though. It makes the most sense. You don't want to do it; it's not going to happen above all else we all know this i'm sure he knows it too but he had to double down because he said it in the first place and got asked about it again that's what you have to do we talked about it with mm -hmm. um Heck, brian burke being brian hired burke, here yeah yep you know it makes sense you're supposed to double down on that and confirm what you thought because when you're a big j journalist and you're behind the desk you say things and you have to stick by roll with it yeah and he did that so i applaud him on that lazy yes not lazy you're right but still just not going to happen. And, hey, you know what? You got your name out there. We got you talking. And good on you. I mean, Darren, it's – who was it in? Drager? It was Drager, yeah. Drager's no slouch, by the way. Let's he's just, not. No, he's not a like, bad journalist. But yeah. I just it, – it frustrates me when a good journalist, and you know he's a good journalist, says something like that and has that just nonchalant, yeah, well, I think this this could happen. When realistically, in the back of your mind, everybody knows – Sidney Crosby's not getting traded to outside of Pittsburgh. Mario Lemieux won't let that right. happen. It doesn't seem like Sidney Crosby has ever wanted that to happen. And here's the thing. If he wants another Stanley Cup, this team has the players on paper to do it. They just need to play better. As I said, 6-6 six and six with their best players not playing well and with their entire defense core gone. Yeah, and beyond that, I mean, the new management system, they don't want it either. Neither of them. That was Burke a big... Is Burke has already said that Crosby, quote, I think it was quote unquote, is the only untouchable guy. Hmm. So that makes, I mean, yeah, you make that headline because you want to make a headline. But then again, we're from Pittsburgh where the trade talk of Crosby, Malkin, Latang, Flurry for ages, Murray, it's all happened hmm. since when was Crosby drafted? 2005? Yeah. Since 2006, we've been having this conversation every summer. It's nothing new here. We're used to it. It's just the fact that finally a national guy said it and made noise with it, not just said it and moved on. He made noise with it, so good on him for getting the attention and for, honestly, it makes sense, but you're still wrong, and we can leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and, you know, if it wasn't a big-name journalist, we wouldn't be talking about it, so that is obviously goes to show how big of a journalist Darren Drager is for the NHL, and let's just hope that these stupid rumors stop because all they're doing is inflaming Penn's Twitter and me, basically. <laughs> but we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to finish off this episode with our Penn's poll. We'll be right back. 
I'm Mason Dixon, a Habs fan stuck in Leafs country, with my co-host Corey, a southern beauty trapped deep in the bayous of Louisiana. With over 2,500 kilometers of separation, we still managed to come together to give you Habs Nightly, your hub for Habs content. While I don't know what a kilometer is, I do know Habs hockey. Don't let the 10-year age gap or distance fool you. We bleed Blue Blanc every week, and we're known to serve up hot takes along with our unique charm. Join us every Monday and Thursday for Hockey Talk, Ref Rage, and your daily dose of Southern ignorance. Only on the Hockey Podcast Network. Katie is the superior macaroni and cheese. Get the fuck out of here. You put um, ketchup on your fucking macaroni, you nasty kid? Yes, I fucking do. This has been Habs Nightly. You guys have a great night. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. Again, we hope everybody had a really good Valentine's Day weekend, but we're going to finish off this Monday episode with our weekly pens poll. And this week's poll, what is the biggest issue plaguing the Pittsburgh Penguins so far this season? Special teams. No surprise there. Came in at first place with 36%. Poor decision-making and the performance of Malkin and Latang got tied for second with 24%. And injuries finished in last with 16%. So no excuses being made by Penn's Twitter for the injuries. It seems like most people think the power play and the penalty kill are the biggest issues facing the Pittsburgh Penguins. Horowat, what did you think about this poll? And what did you think specifically was the biggest issue for the Pittsburgh Penguins, or is the biggest issue, I should say? Uh, the poll is correct. It is absolutely uh, special teams. Without doubt. It do- I-, I didn't need to see the other options. I really didn't care about the other options because it is special teams. Our power play sucks. I mean, again, I'll go back to whenever I was delivering. I heard... I heard the our power play and I heard theirs. And like I said before, whenever they whenever the Islanders went on the power play, I said to myself out loud in the car, two to one Islanders. Straight up. That's just the way it was, and that's what happened. Then on top of that, we went on the power play, almost gave up a shorthanded goal, and I just hear Phil Bork over the radio go, get these guys off the ice. And again, he's right. This is ridiculous. I, at this point, put our penalty kill out there. Can we deny a penalty? Like all these questions that I'm joke that i joked about at first i'm being legit at this point something's gotta change i mean i don't know how long it comes down to the question of what the hell is todd reardon doing but i don't think it's on him whenever we're just not shooting it i'm sure he's i'm sure he's not out there coaching his guys to just pass the puck around the umbrella for two whole minutes it's something's gotta something's gotta give something's gotta change i mean that stat that I heard that we were one of the top power plays in the league, just definitely just the anomaly of an early season. Yeah. Because now that's they're, I think, like 24th or 25th. 26th, I think. Yeah. And, and that's for both of them. It's not just the power play. It's the penalty kill, too. They're both sucking right now. Of all things, our penalty kill, which is the biggest shock because I thought we had a damn good penalty kill last year, and we have great defensive forwards. And now, with Aston Reese back, I figured... Maybe that'll help a little, but I guess we just got to let him get his feet wet still. I don't know. That's, I don't even need to discuss the other options on this list. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the special teams. I mean, what were the other options again? The other options were the performance of Malkin and Latang, Which is obvious, but... The injuries and that the poor decision-making by the team. Yeah. I mean, yeah, those again, those are all valid options as well. I just... The just special teams just stands out from that crowd. Mm-hmm. And these are the big four issues. I don't think there's really many other issues than these four, but that's a problem when you have four issues that are pretty big, especially when two of them are your second and third best player not playing well at all. Maybe so, goaltending as well, but... Yeah, goaltending hasn't been great, but also when you have the injuries to the defense and the play of your best defenseman being that bad, it gets pretty difficult to be a good goaltender in those situations. But I agree the special teams is definitely an issue. I don't want to crucify Todd Reardon and the special teams for their performance on Thursday because that was the first game really that there was any opportunities because the last time they played the Islanders there was one penalty kill and they killed the penalty sure 
But after all that work, they got one opportunity on the power play. So I, you don't want to take too much into effect with that. I think you want to see a couple more power plays to see how those adjustments were made as well as the penalty kill. And like you said, Zach Aston Reese is our best penalty killer. That was his first game. You gave up a goal on the power play. That's on, on the kill, I should say. That's bound to happen. We'll see over time if the numbers improve with him back in the lineup because, yeah, Brandon Tanev is a good penalty killer. Mark Jankowski, you know, yet to see. Teddy Bluger, good penalty killer. We know that. So we'll have to see how all of this works out. Also, we're missing two of our better penalty killing defensemen due to injury, and that's Brian Dumoulin and Marcus Pedersen. So we'll see how that does whenever people start coming back and whenever there's more of a sample size from the adjustments that we know Todd Reardon has made in the past week and a half. So that is the biggest issue. I, 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 I agree that that's the biggest issue. But the other thing I said, this team is going to go as Evgeny Malkin goes the rest of the season. Sidney Crosby can keep this team at 500 by sure willpower. But to put this team over the top and to put this team in the playoffs as a contender, Evgeny Malkin is going to need to take what he did on Thursday and with 18 seconds left in the game. He's going to need to take that and turn that into his entire game, which mm -hmm. we've seen before. He's been at that level before. He needs to do that wholeheartedly starting on Sunday against Washington for the entirety of the rest of the season. And a lot of people point to the fact that the reason he made that shot is because he was angry, Gino, because Matt Martin got in his face. If you need somebody else to activate you from the other team, then you're not a star player. So go out there and do it from the start. Be that good player. I get that you can't always be 100% full tilt all the time unless your name is Brandon Tanev, but be that player more than you're not that player if you're Evgeny Malkin. That's what he's been for the majority of his career, and that's why we usually back him when we talk about NHL Top 100. But the player that he's shown this year has been bad Geno through and through, except for a couple of flashes of the Geno we know and love. Yeah, as much as we get on the whole... Oh, don't poke the Russian bear thing. Guess what? He's been getting poked all year and has been doing nothing. This yeah, is that was the, the first, first time. This is the first time it finally did something. So let's not go on to that. Let's not say, oh, it's because you made him mad. If that, if, if he really needs to get mad before a game to do good, Crosby should start cutting him in line. <laughs> if that's really what's going to get it going. <laughs> I mean, because that's not the way you should be playing. You shouldn't be waiting for someone to piss you off to play well don't get me wrong i get where it's kind of coming from because he doesn't have the crowd to back him up which is something he thrived on and it's actually having an effect on it like that is part of the bad season he's having so far is that there is no crowd um but that being said that's something you just got to get past this year dude mm -hmm. that's it that's something you got to work past and i'm sure he will i'm sure he'll figure it out but if you need something to piss you off i i don't know you got to do it mentally yourself then because People aren't going to do that every game. You're not going to have an interaction with Matt Martin every game. You know, most of them, especially the rest of this month, you will. But Matt Martin's not the guy who should be pissing you off. It's not. His own play I, should be the thing that's pissing him off right now. Yeah. And if, and he has admitted that he has not had a good season so far. Good. It's good he's at least owning up to it. He knows he needs to be better. That's a start. But at the same time, Malkin, man, we've had this conversation before. We've had this conversation of, hey, you need to be better. And he's admitted to it before. Okay, well, time to start doing it again. It's as simple as this. What did you do last season that made you so good? Repeat. It's, yeah. It wasn't that far. It wasn't that long ago that he was dominant. That was last season. Yeah. Get back to what you were doing. Get those habits back. You You know what you did in the gym and in preparation. And I get that you didn't get that opportunity this year, but we're a month into the season. If you aren't prepped and ready at this point, I don't know what you're doing. So who knows? Yeah. I don't want to get on too bad because it is, you know, yeah. it's 12 games into the season. He is and will be one of the top four players of all time for the Pittsburgh Penguins for a long time now. It's just, you need to cement your legacy and not fade into non- existence with excuses like i wasn't ready for the season yeah it's hard i mean i get this season's hard it's hard not having any sort of um off-season training but there are answers to all those excuses you have a home in florida florida has not really shut down at all this year no this past year you could if i get you want to stay home in russia okay maybe i mean i get where he's coming from and all these things 
it, but you there's a workaround. You're a professional athlete. You, there's obviously workarounds for everything for you. Um, it's just interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, we still love him. We still support him. We still want him to do well. As much as every Yenzer says he should be traded. And you know what? If this shit continues, I'm going to start riding that train too. But things got to turn around for him. And as for Latang, I'm closer to saying, yeah, put him on the trading block than I am other people. So, anyway. <laughs> well, I think that's a good place to end this episode. So that'll do it for this episode of The Tip of the Iceberg. Horat, any last words before we say goodbye for our first episode of the week? Yeah, I just have one question because we did a lot of trade talk. Do you think a trade will happen this year, big or small? I think a trade will happen this year. Will it be big or will it be small? What are we It'll probably be small. It'll be a small trade made by Hextall to try to just tinker a little bit with the lineup as is. I don't think he's going to give up too much draft capital because he's a draft guy and he already doesn't have very much to work with. I think it's going to be a small move, but I do think there's going to be a trade this year. Okay. I mean, I'm sure we'll do a lot of trade talk coming up. Um, For anyone listening, if you have names that you think are about to get shipped off that don't include the core, um, let's hear them. If it doesn't involve Latang, Malkin, or Crosby, let's uh, hear what you've got. Because I've got a pretty big name, I'm thinking, off the top. But we will get into that discussion another time. Thank you again for listening. <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode of The Sip of the Iceberg. Like Horwat said, thank you so much for listening. Let's hope the Penguins won on Valentine's Day because we don't know as we're recording this. And let's hope they win on Tuesday. But that's going to do it. We'll see you guys on Thursday. You can follow us on Twitter at NickHorwat41 and at Nick underscore Berlansky. You can also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. This podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcast from. So please subscribe and rate us on apple podcasts we are brought to you by the hockey podcast network you can visit them on twitter at hockeypodnet or at the hockeypodcastnetwork.com every team everywhere